Well, hello, Jacob. My question for you today is, out of this entire, you just finished the six weeks. We just started a new one. What have been some of your most favorite moments, and why are those your favorite moments for this year? I don't know. You know what? I think um, one of my favorite early moments was, like, just going back to work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, right. like, you know, like, like, like real work. And, you know, I know, um, you know, I know we were working hard distance learning and doing all of that stuff, but you know, that just wasn't the job that I fell in love with. So I think that would be moment. Number one was like when they were like, Hey, you can come back. And I was like, yes, let's go. I don't care if I have to wear masks. I don't care if I have to Lysol everything every five seconds. Just let me back in my happy place, my classroom and everything else. Moment two was actually welcome kids back face to face, seeing students again, seeing humans. And you know what's so funny about this is I don't know if I've gotten this through to you or to anyone who knows me through my work, like online or whatever, but I'm not a social person. Like, you know, it's, it's hard to believe, I suppose, because, you know, I do so many things out in the world on social media and the podcast and everything like that. But like, I'm really not a a social bee. I have a very small circle. I'm not very trendy. Like I don't wait for the next big movie to come out. Like, you know, like I've seen like two Marvel movies. Like I don't, I don't, I don't take part in, in pop culture necessarily. And that, that I kind of silo myself a little bit and that's just kind of how I am. Like when I come out, I'm a, I'm a, I do it first as kind of an entertainer, um, just from the way I was raised and, you know, playing drums and being a performer. So when I'm not doing that, I'm very much in my own world, uh, just kind of sectioned off. But with that said, I am deeply, deeply in love with being at a campus with students and talking to students and just interacting with them and like all the stuff that happens during a day, like even the bad stuff, right? Like I had some classroom management issues this week that we'll probably talk about this week, but, um, like it was some things that I had to tighten up on and like even that stuff, right? Even the stressful parts, even when I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like when I walk out of school, some days I feel like a rock star and I'm like, yes, I understand how to do this thing. You know, sometimes I walk out and I'm like, God, I just, I have so, I have such, so many things to learn and to get better at. But even those moments when I'm not feeling like a rock star, I'm not feeling like I really understand my job. I still love it. I wake up tired a lot. You know, I I come home and I I lesson plan and, you know, we're doing digital learning and in-person learning. So it's, it's literally like having multiple preps um, and you have to manage each differently and that's bonkers and it's tiring and it's frustrating, but I love it. And so when those kids came like that's, that's the stuff that energizes me because I'm like, the difference between that, the, the purely digital learning and what we have now is when I'm tired, I go, you know what? I have to figure this out because kids are going to be right there. They're going to be in front of me. Like they're showing up. I have to have something planned for them. And that's over and over again. That's my favorite moment is letting them walk in and being surprised by like, what's Chastain going to say today? What, what weird piece is he going to put in front of us that gets us thinking, you know, like what? What's going to happen? And that that's like, that's what fuels me. That Those are my most exciting things, I think. Oh, well, with that, 
I think we can welcome everybody. Welcome to Craft and Draft with Pam Ochoa and Jacob Chastain, or Jacob Chastain and Pam Ochoa. I think I always mess that up. But anyway, <laughs> welcome anyway. <laughs> this has been an interesting year, and one of the reasons why I kind of asked that question is, I, I, I kind of like you, I had a little... Um, problem with a little discipline I had to take care of a student and it changed you know and then of course that always causes the principal to go so what's actually happening in your class so then they have to tell you to be a little more strict in some areas and so sure I always say yes ma'am or yes sir and I just make it happen and then and then the and then inevitably the one that caused the issue is like why are we having to do this and I just kind of give them the look and they go oh (laughs) Right. So to me, that that's kind of fun. But also, this week for me, um, there was a moment where I had asked I had asked a question. I decided with my with both of my classes, they have been asking me to read. I read a few things to them, and then they were like, "Can you read to us more?" And so I pulled out old Jack London, the old classic there. Yep. And uh, anyway, so we, uh, Call of the Wild, and so I started reading it and uh, it was my honors classes. And then I asked a few questions, and then one of the kids goes, oh, my goodness, Ms. Ochoa, you ask really good questions. I don't think I know the answer to that. But it was kind of neat to listen to them, uh, you know, where they went, whoa, that's a good one, you know. And then we, we read some other stuff. And so it was kind of made me think about about my questions. But I was also kind of pleased this week on how they're, I mean, I've read to both groups. I'm reading, um, oh, you know, the Shadow series. I told you I really like that series. It gets yep. kids to read. And I've got I've got some pretty low readers. And we talked about gaps the other day. So I thought maybe me reading to them and doing some read-alouds, you know, like stopping and actually, you know, like the good old days and just sitting and talk to the kids about what they're hearing and what they're reading. And I mean, what I'm reading and, you know, and inferencing and all that, but just asking them questions and they have really gotten into it. So then the next day they were like, can you read just two more chapters, two more chapters? So now I'm behind it on my other stuff, but <laughs> it's what the, yeah, but it's what the kids, I mean, I think I'm getting a lot done. I mean, I'm still like doing the question. I mean, you know, the curriculum, we're supposed to be doing inferencing and all of that. Well, I mean, you're asking these kids, you know, why do you think what's, what's going to happen next? And then stopping and reading and saying, Hey, right here, right here, this is foreshadowing. Let's see if you can do it in your own writing, you know, that kind of stuff. Can you find another place in a book you're reading where they're doing this? So, you know, it's kind of like using these as model texts. But anyway, I had some good moments that way. Yeah. I, you know, what you're talking about right there, right? This whole kids wanting to do something more, right? They're wanting to read more. They're wanting to interact with you reading to them. And, you know, I think it's really easy from an administrator's standpoint to see, like if, if let, let's just say, let's insert an administrator, not, not even your principal. I love your principal. I think he's fantastic. I don't even think he would think mm-hmm. this, but like someone who, you. someone who, uh, uh, I think a, a common principal might step in, right, or a coach or a district a- administrator or something like that. They'll walk in and they'll see you reading to them in middle school. And I don't I don't know if the majority of people in charge would realize what you're actually doing. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. I think there would be a, a contentious view because once kids hit, you know, I've always said like secondary 
secondary education is where the love of reading and writing goes to die. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then, and then it just gets exacerbated in high school when that stuff gets funneled into just college admissions. And if you're not going to college, then you're just in the group that just has to perform for the test. So you can go out and get a different type of job. Like, like literacy doesn't apply to literally every part of your life, but I digress. But this, um, you know, I, I feel like reading aloud in secondary classrooms has been it, it's it's not appreciated for what it is. And I, I from you, you do it far more than I do. You, it's it's one of my along with like the debrief, which I've talked about extensively about how I'm horrible at debriefs. Um, reading aloud is something I do within the mini lesson a lot. I don't do just for the sake of doing. But I, could you break that down? For us and talk about like what not only like what is it that you're doing in a read aloud, but how do you think that that is serving your students by them listening to a story just to listen to it? Well, first of all, when most of these kids haven't really been read to Mm -hmm. and if they have been read to, it's usually picture books, but I'm saying young books, you know, Dr. Seuss, things like that, maybe even some other stuff. But but to be read to, I mean, we listen to audio books all the time. Yep. I mean, everybody's into audiobooks. So it's almost like that same thing. What do you get out of an audiobook? Sometimes it's just nice to sit and listen. Yep. But what the students are hearing is they're hearing the language. For example, on Jack London, he uses some pretty high vocabulary. And these these uh, classic uh, authors do that. I mean, the, the language of yesterday is, is pretty complex. So... Um, I would, so for example, right there on the first page, I was, I think it was um, domain. And domain is not domain, but it was D E M. You might already know it because you're pretty, you're pretty savvy with the words, but it's D E M E E S N E. Are you familiar with that word? No. Like domain? No. Domain. Domain. Like D E M E S N E. No, I don't, I don't know what that is. Now I'm feeling a little better about myself because neither did I. <laughs> and so right in the middle of that, you know, the kids get to experience me go, I don't know this word. Does anybody know this word? Do any of you know this word? And so then I spell it out on the board for them. And they're like, I mean, immediately they all have their Chromebooks, right? So yeah. immediately they start typing it in. And now it's a contest to see who can find it the fastest. And so then they're wanting to tell me. Well, it's the landscape, Wow! which, of course, would be in a Jack London uh, book, right? Because he's got to describe the setting. And guess what we're studying right now? The setting. Right. So, hey, it worked. So that was not planned, but it worked. Hey, that's the best stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But they get to see me struggle because, you know, reading the classics, you know, and I think, uh, first of all, it gives them something literary to read. Yep. You know, because they're not going to, that's not going to be one. It's been on my shelf for a while. I haven't seen one kid pick it up. Sure. It looks daunting. They see the first few words and they're like, I'm done. But to hear the language and how it's put together. And, and so then I'll start reading and I'll read like a few, a few chapters and then I'll stop and I'll say, what do you think just happened? What did y'all hear? What is the author? And I'll ask you, why do you think the author did that? You know, why did the author sprinkle in the setting rather than tell you everything up front? So let me read the first chapter again. Not the first chapter, but the first paragraph. So then I go back and I reread because I'll say, what what period time period is this? 
And they're all looking at me like, uh, surely she's not going to ask me. And it's not that they weren't listening. It's just the way he did his setting. So I go back in and I'll say, how many of you know when the gold rush happened? And they're all like, uh, and so then I get to explain to them why reading is so important because, because I know. And why do I know? Because I read. And I said, I can tell you right off the bat that this is in a, this is in the late 1800s. Somebody look up the Klondike, uh, look up the Klondike uh, Gold Rush. Well, uh, he doesn't tell you that's what it is until page four, but but he gives you hints about it in the first chapter. Yeah, or in the first not the first chapter, but the first paragraph. And so it was just neat to have, watch the kids. I mean, they're just like intrigued. And then the way he describes the dog and the action. So he mixes the setting with the action. So why do you think that, why do you think he did that? And so then the kids start giving me answers. I said, well, do y'all want me to read on or do you want me to stop? Oh no, no, no. Read on, read on. And it's not because they have forgotten or not, not that they're avoiding. Sometimes they want you to do that because they're avoiding work. I don't think that was the case. That wasn't the vibe I got. And then I went ahead and read with my other class. I read the shadow children and almost the same thing came up. He, she's sprinkling the setting, and then there's some action. He's got to come in because they're tearing up the trees. Yes. And he's all sad, and I'm like, what do y'all think's going on? And then they start saying, maybe he's been kidnapped. Maybe he's been this. you know. And it's not until chapter two where he goes, there's a law against Luke. And, I mean, it was neat because the kids go, what? <laughs> there's a law? How can there be a law against Luke? And then, so then somebody goes, this is almost like, do you think it's that population thing that people, you know, do you think, you know, and so mm-hmm. now they're starting to think. So mm-hmm. it's happening right then and there. And I don't let anybody put their heads down on the desk. You know, I prefer to have the book in front of them. But just to sit and read and listen, and then they see me struggle. And and so, and or they see me, you know, sometimes I have to pretend to struggle. Right. But not in Jack London's book. I'm not pretending. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) So one thing that you're, what you're reminding me of is, so Neil Gaiman, author of Graveyard Book, uh, Sandman Comics, um, Coraline, pretty like I mean, so many, so many great, great books. Neil Gaiman is fantastic. He has this. Uh, he he has a video, uh, or it was an article. I don't know. I have to look it up. But I, I feel like I say that all the time. I reference something that I have no idea where like where the exact <laughs> reference is. You know what I mean? But yeah, I did, yeah. <laughs> um, he has this. <laughs> Whether it was reading or speaking, he said um, how he was how how much he loved audiobooks, right? So it was probably an interview where I heard this. But he was saying, um, if you think back to early man, if you think back to where stories began, they were they were audio, right? People memorize. This is why the epics are structured the way they are. This is why uh, rhyming was so important was because it was, you're able to remember those things. Um, and, and these stories that were told orally, right? The great books that kids end up reading in, in upper secondary and, and sometimes lower secondary, but usually upper it's, it's the, that a lot of that was told, uh, 
voice to voice, right? Person to person. It got shared. Um, that's how stuff was, because most people weren't literate, right? Books weren't a, a commodity that was really there. You know, um, the the church really, if you want to get nerdy about this, was kind of the original propagator of literacy and written text in the first place. So you have this tradition, this oral tradition of people listening to people speak stories, people speak about um, whatever they're sharing, right? Could be fiction, could be nonfiction. Um, a lot of times history, people uh, people didn't accept history the way we think of it now. You know, thousands of years ago, history was not this, this it had everything had to be factual, right? People embellished, they added details, they did stuff like that because that gave them listeners. It also helped them remember certain things. So rather than, you know, an army just winning, now the army is conquering and, and killing everyone. You know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. how all of that transitioned. But fast forward to today, um, that, the audio, Ex- the the audio receptors right and and the human brain is much more geared towards listening than it is writing we've been listening to stories far longer than we've been reading them and it's reading in in the capacity that we're asking kids and adults to do now is much of a different task. So it's, it's fascinating to me to remember that and to research it more. I'm not by any means, I'm not like an expert on like the evolution of human reading from speech and everything like that. However, I have read a lot about how it has happened, this development. And what's interesting is we, we tend to weigh, I think as an educational community, we tend to weigh, um, kids reading and being able to silently read at a higher level of rigor, at a higher level of development than listening to someone read out loud or listening to audio, right? We tend to designate that to like kids with dyslexia, kids with learning disabilities and stuff like that. But this process of listening to someone read something out loud, especially if it's done well, right? Not a computer program, but an actual human adding, adding human emotion, adding human error, like you were talking about, adding human experience. That does so much for the child in the classroom, and I would argue the adults in the classroom too, that I, I, I think there's so much value in there. And I think as an educational community, we don't value it enough, myself included, because it's it's the origin. Language was spoken far, far before it was ever written. We have to remember that the written language, I mean, as far as we're concerned, like it's it's it uh there might be a historian listening to this, so apologize if I'm wrong, but I mean, this is between, uh, I mean, at least in the broad spectrum between 50,000 and a hundred thousand years is when language came about. Cause I know art was about the same time. So if you think about writing symbols, am I getting too abstract? You're adding symbols <laughs> to, no, I mean, if you're me. adding, yeah, I mean, this is, this is definitely word nerd stuff. So hopefully English nerds are listening to this. Um, and maybe they can correct me if I'm wrong, but writing symbols down for sounds and creating sentences about this, you know, if we're thinking about hieroglyphics, we're thinking about the ancient Egyptians and everything, like this is stuff that is, is relatively new technology, especially the novel. The novel is new technology. And the fact that we don't embrace that. And, and find ways that you're so good at, by the way, of reading stuff out loud, struggling with them, talking through your process, and then using those as teaching moments for random things. You know, like like that word, for instance, 
being able to teach vocabulary through struggling in a read aloud or showing them a, a brief example of history or something like that. That is stuff that is not, it's hard to replicate in curriculum, but teachers who are teaching authentically and who are leaning into the process of what literacy means, I think it happens more and more often. And you can't define this. Like this isn't something you can put in a book. It's not something that's easily explained, but just hearing you talk about it, I mean, think of all the teaching moments that happened for you in your read aloud. Well, there's there's quite a few, but you you started talking about story and the power of story. Yeah. Uh, and I do have, I had the opportunity to listen to Kendall Haven more than once. And Kendall Haven is a scientist, but he's also a writer. Mm. And his book is called Story Proof. The Science Behind the Startling Power of Story. Mm. And to listen to him present, and that was written in 2007, but they've actually gone in and they're studying how the brain is actually wired for story. And he brings up that the reason I brought him up is because your whole entire thesis that she just... Right. <laughs> your your stuff that you just said goes right along with his research. So, oh my it, god, you know, I've it, never read this book. I just Amazoned it. I'm about to buy this right now. I, I'm telling you, it's a good one. And uh, but he is really a neat person. But just listen to his story; it's pretty cool. But anyway, he talks all about how we are wired for story, and that's one reason why when we learn, we learn through story. So the more you can use story, the better it is. For the students, and yeah. so it's really kind of neat. As a as a, a previous history teacher, both of us really, you know, I know you taught yeah. geography um, and history and Texas. Yeah, history. I know you've you've done everything. You're you're yeah. the <laughs> you've you've I literally. Okay. You're, you're, I mean, your experience is is ridiculous. Like you're, the amount of stuff that you've been exposed to. But I did do uh, U.S. history for that first year, and even though I wasn't nearly the teacher I am today. Um, at history, what I, the trainings I went to, you know, some of our district officials, um, shout out to Julie Hyman, who's one of the smartest educators oh, I've ever had the pre- like pleasure of you. learning from Tracy mm-hmm. Ratliff, who I've ever had the pleasure oh, of working with. That's right. Um, I don't know if they'll ever hear this podcast, but, uh, they teach so much in story. They're, they're some of the best historians I've ever heard of. By the way, Tracy Ratliff, her husband was my inclusion teacher my first year. Oh, okay. That's what um, I remember. Well, and he told great stories. Kids loved him because he would just tell these deep stories about history. And I think, like, th- this is just talking about how, like, the, what we're talking about here isn't English and workshop specific. Like, the power of story in getting kids roped in. You know, we teach kids this when we talk about writing nonfiction, right? Like, if you want to pull someone in to your argument, to whatever you're trying to talk about, you bring them in with a narrative. Like great articles are not just facts, right? Like they're, they're stories wrapped around the facts that, that really paint the picture. I think that's the stuff that really changes. And I just, I don't know, man, I, that, that it, it this goes for everything in math. Like, I mean, I think if I would have had a math teacher that taught me the narrative of what equations and numbers meant rather than oh, just, yeah. Hey, this is how you do it. And here's 10 problems, which the majority of my math teachers did. That's, don't want to don't want to offend any math teachers, but if I had if I would have had that narrative, I think it would have affected me a lot differently. Right. Well, you know, my dad's a math teacher, and 
that's one of the things he do, he does. Like when he would explain it to me, he would almost put it like in a story. So it kind of helped me out a lot. So I think you're right about that. Well, one of the things you mentioned about all the different lessons that have been taught over the years, I've taught all kinds of lessons through that read aloud. I just find it to be very powerful. Yeah. And uh, I think it's Laura Robb that does a lot with read aloud. Mm-hmm. And, but what I've seen, and she actually wrote it down and put it in a book and, uh, and it's benefited a lot of people. She kind of wrote down all of her, the way she processes in which she does it. But sometimes what I've noticed is some of the people, when they try to imitate it, it becomes mechanical and it, it can't be mechanical. It's like, I think that was the problem when we were trying to help teachers with this read aloud, you know, the Fountas and Pinnell read aloud stuff. Uh-huh. One of the one of the issues with that, I mean, there's a lot of research behind it, and it is research based, which is good. We want research based because that you know helps us with our argument. However, the way they wrote it down, sometimes uh, it's almost like a script, and when it runs like a script, it becomes mechanical. You might as well just put it on the computer and let the computer read it to them. Yep. And I think I think that's what we have to fight when we do things. So it needs to be a natural experience, and I feel like that's why the kids enjoy it. And I've tried, and of course the Jack London is for my honors students and uh, the other ones for my on-level students. And I chose, I chose a series because sometimes that might help them. I think you used um, Amulet that way, didn't you? Because it was a series. Uh Uh-huh. 100%. And you know, I, uh, and I used it as a mini lesson last year. Like I totally, oh. cause I had kids who, you know, one of my, one of my favorite things to do in teaching is not only expose kids to like different genres and stuff like that, but, but meet them where they are and show them how, what they do naturally is literacy. I feel like a lot of kids come to school and they think that like, you know, there's always this argument, like, you know, there's that joke that kids say, like, you know, I read tweets and I read my text messages and I read that stuff. And kids are like, and people are like, that's not real reading. Uh, I dis, I 100% disagree. Like, the stuff that they see on social media is what most people read. Like, if we're going to be 100% honest about the reading rates in modern society, most people are not reading books, right? They're reading right. Uh, internet culture. They're reading social media. So when kids say... No, I do read on the weekend, but it's my social media stuff. That's a hundred percent authentic reading, right? Like the, uh, now, right. I now to let's qualify that statement. I think they should be reading books and they should be reading <laughs> uh, different things. But I mean, if we're gonna be if we're gonna be real about this, that is the the reading that most people do. Even adults, they're reading social media, they're reading articles, they're reading stuff that's posted on stuff like that. So um, what I love to do is bring that into the classroom and, and analyze it. And one of the ways I did it is I did it with Amulet, which is, you know, it's a popular comic book series. Anyone's listening to this who needs something and they haven't heard of Amulet, but just buy the series. Your kids are going to love it. And it, it doesn't matter if they're high school, middle, <laughs> middle school, mm-hmm. or elementary school. Amulet, it's fantastic. It's written on a level that kids understand. Um, and it's very action packed. Like kids just fly through those. The, well, the only downside of having Amulet in your classroom is that you're going to have to rebuy it because the comic books will fall apart. But pulling that into the mini lesson, all of a sudden, what am I doing? I'm validating the use of graphic novels in the classroom. I'm showing them that this is literature. Um, If we pull in tweets from celebrities, if we pull in posts 
from people that they understand, right? It's the same. If you go back, like, you know, you know, back in the day, people were like, oh, yeah, teach poetry through song lyrics, right? Pick the the popular artist um, and, and teach through that, right? Like in my day, uh, when, you know, I, well, I was born in the 90s, so not to... <laughs> no, not I was to, teaching before you were born. <laughs> no, you were. <laughs> so I was born in November of 1990. So this is like a few years before Metallica's Black oh. album came out, right? This is this story's gonna go somewhere. I promise. I was three years in. That's hilarious. So you, um, but I've read I, I read uh, a post by a, an author, uh, really young into my college career. He said, you know, the moment I realized poetry was something more than just like stuffy stuff that I didn't understand was when my teacher brought in Metallica lyrics. Right. And that was just the, the age of that time. And that's the same thing for, um, when we bring in lyrics from popular songs or old songs, right. Songs that I know you have, uh, we've shared ideas about lessons that you've taken from, uh, specific lessons around words or whatever that are, that are from artists that you enjoy. But when you bring in anything that's authentic into the classroom, what you're telling kids is not only, Hey kids, I understand what's going on, but it's also like, this is all literacy. Like we, I think sometimes we really forget the purpose of what we're doing in an English classroom. Mm -hmm. And that is we're trying to make kids, literate people in multiple ways where reading the greatest literature ever written is not the majority of ways people can use literacy to their, to their, uh, their benefit. Right. I mean, this is, Mm -hmm. I just hear high school teachers crying right now or college professors just like, no, we have to read all of these great books. You don't, you don't need to read Hamlet to be a literate, successful person. And I think education is slow to change, but I think that's where teachers who are in the know are really, I think the, the people doing the best work are the ones who are using literacy and seeing literacy as a multiple domain thing. ILA put out a post, uh, in the last several years where they said literacy is no longer just being able to read. It's, it's this, this, and this, and they list like digital literacy, um, professional literacy, fiction literacy, like all of that stuff combined. They don't use those terms. I'm, I'm, uh, paraphrasing mm-hmm. for the sake of the podcast, but um, that 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 conglomerate of literacies is what I think uh, you do well, and you've done really well for a long time. And I think I've learned it from you. But it's it's a uh, it's challenging, but it's also freeing. Like the moment when you tell kids, "Hey, here's all the stuff that's literacy, right? Being able to read a label is literacy, right? Like being able to read your, your medical records is literacy. Being able to read a political ballot is literacy. And I think the Mm -hmm. more we do that, I, I, I really do think like that's the stuff that benefits kids the most. I do think so. And, and you mentioned poetry earlier and I just think teaching kids how to read all kinds of poetry is first of all, it's precise It teaches them, um, you know, how to think in a way that we typically don't think. In other words, they, in a metaphorical way, in an abstract way, and the kids aren't used to that. They're very concrete. So one of the best ways to take them to an abstract uh, thinking process is through poetry. Yeah. But that's also why, you know, a lot of teachers I have found, I did a, 
I did a session one time called uh, Metrophobia. You know what Metrophobia is, Jacob? No idea. It's the fear of poetry. Oh. It's, it's the fear of meter, metro. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so I did a whole thing on Stop Metrophobia. That was the name of my uh, session that I did. And, and I showed them how I think a lot of teachers, after teaching a lot of teachers, teachers don't teach poetry a lot of times because they're afraid of it. Yep. 100%. They're afraid that there's a right or a wrong answer. But really, it's it's not about the right or wrong answer. It's about going through the process of exploring the meaning and, and to explore what that, you know, and what does it mean to them? I really believe, and I think I shared this with you about, you know, 19, the 1930s, Louise Rosenblatt came up with that, that uh, reader response theory. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, she talks about how we have six different responses uh, when we read something. And as a teacher, uh, uh, not as a teacher, but as a reader, the reader makes meaning with the text, okay? The writer's yes. hoping that they make the same meaning <laughs> that's intended. But at the same time, it's, you know, so I think in poetry, it's a great place to teach these kids how to respond, and to respond to abstract thinking and making them more thinking, their thinking more flexible. So I, I enjoy reading uh, poetry, and I enjoy doing it with the kids. And, and well, I think you do that better than anybody. Well, I, I appreciate that. But you know, it's so funny is I'm sitting here taking notes. I had a, <laughs> I had I a, take notes. <laughs> I know. I know. I see you doing it. You know what's funny is I'm not generally a note taker. But um, when we chat on these podcasts, I take so many notes. Like I've already, I bought that book. By the way, I'm not even kidding. Oh, you totally, did? You bought it like yeah. while we were talking? Yes, I totally bought. Uh, what's it called? I don't even know. Remember what it's called? But I bought it. Story proof. Um, yeah, story proof. Yep, that's coming to my house somebody here in like a week. So, um, All right, we'll have to talk well, about that next. Yeah, well, yeah, we might have to. But this, these conversations, you know, I love that we kind of. Uh, in in a lot of ways, I feel like we're modeling. Uh, the PD process, you know what I mean? Like this whole idea mm-hmm. of just sharing what we both get and, and what we evolve into. But uh, this poetry idea, I love, uh, you know, I, I love teaching it and I've gotten so much mileage out of it with my students, which is absolutely amazing. And what it did for like my sixth graders, for instance, is I let them play with sentence structure without being so concerned about commas, periods, and all the other grammar, right? Like I, I let them start using language in a way that was meaningful to them. But I said, you know what? Put a line break there. Don't worry about a period. Put a line break. Break the line. Like have fun with it. You right. know what I mean? Like like you have this rambling piece. Sweet. Let's put some line breaks in it. Now it looks like something, right? It's almost <laughs> it, it, you know, but what I did by by encouraging these line breaks, encouraging them to write quote unquote poetry, is I've I trained them in sixth grade to put their words out there because immediately the moment they realized that it wasn't tied to grammar and this was all, this was a part of the plan. I know a lot of things I say weren't, but this was, <laughs> I was like, if I could just get them to care about the words they're putting down, we can fix everything else. You cannot revise a blank page. You cannot revise thoughts that have not been put out into the universe. Getting kids to write in volume, getting kids to, 
writes about multiple topics to try different styles, to emulate different poets, to emulate different pieces. Um, this is how I, uh, I did a tale of two cities, right? The whole, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. That was our last (laughs) podcast episode title, but that piece, like I think that paragraph is one of the greatest paragraphs ever written in the human language ever, right? In English language for sure. It's a, it's a dense piece. Uh, I mean, it's Dickens, but it's also fairly accessible if you break it up. So when we broke that up, all of a sudden my students were able to do it. So we read a piece this week. Uh, Friday, I tried to do – I tried to show them something that will inspire writing in them, right? I've – Try, try to give them something that is, is is inspiring enough to get them to go, oh, I can totally use this line or I can use this idea or I can use this structure. Something to get them rolling in hopes that they'll work on it through the weekend. And I took this piece about an asthma attack, which I should probably share with you. It's really great. It's a paragraph I found, and it's about how when someone – essentially, to summarize it, it's when someone has an asthma attack – Whatever they're saying during that asthma attack is increasingly telling. And he, the author approaches it like if they say I love you during an asthma attack, that's, that is so telling of where their mind's at if they say I need a hospital, right? So if they choose to tell you I love you versus saying I need my inhaler, for instance, Think about the meaning behind what those lines mean in that moment, right? And you can substitute, take out asthma attack. Think about dying breath. Think about heart attack. Think about in the hospital, right? Think about um, you have an elderly person like in the hospital with COVID and they choose to tell you I love you versus telling you what's wrong with them. Think about like the depth of thought that is going into kids processing those moments, right? Um And in this paragraph, I went ahead, I broke it up into lines so it was a little bit more accessible because it's literally just one chunk of paragraph. But then I showed them the paragraph, and I had my students debate which one was more effective. They went through, and I said, hey, guys, you want to know something funny? He goes, sure, Chastain, what's funny? And I said, here's this. And I showed them the difference, and I said, this is the original. This is what I did. Which one works better? And so a lot of kids actually chose the big paragraph. And I said, well, why? Why do you think this as a was one chunk of a paragraph works? And they said, well, it seems more immediate. It seems like it's more like a like a rant. A lot of them said. And I was like, yes, I was like, that's that's 100 percent accurate, because if you look at postmodern literature, if you look at literature that is. Um, I really hope people listening to this podcast are word nerds because we are going deep into the nerdy <laughs> stuff of literature right now. I don't think that's what we said we were going to talk about, but okay. This is okay. This is, stuff. <laughs> <laughs> this is the beauty of podcasting because it's just uh, – this is why I love this podcast, by the way, because I don't get – I, I can't do this on Teach Me Teacher because it's uh, – <laughs> It's, uh, you know, it teacher teacher is all about the interview process. This is us talking through our process. Um, right. But kids having this debate about which one's which and them thinking about literature and how structure works differently, because a lot of them did think the poetry worked better. They thought, oh, the line breaks makes me more focused or whatever. But some of them. And then the funny thing is, is that kids took lines. They took lines from that piece and they made some great starting stuff. And I, you know, borrowing a line, I don't know where that originated from, whether it was Nancy Atwell, Penny Kittle. Um, well, uh, Linda Reef uses it a lot in her quick write book. Yeah. Uh, they, she borrows, she puts a line out there next to the thing that they read. And then she says, 
you know, you can do this, this, or this, or you can just borrow a line. And, and she gives them a line to borrow. I mean, that is, for people who have never tried that, it is literally one of the best strategies you can have uh, for students. If you give them the ability to take a great line and run with it, it, so you know what's funny is a lot of my kids when we read that I let them borrow I said let's borrow a line let's take a line from this what line stands out to you you don't have to explain it because a lot of them pick a line because it's personal I said what line stands out to you and they we know we picked several and a lot of them wrote it down but then they didn't use it but it inspired them just focusing on the language uh, I th- this is the stuff like. This is rigor. You know, everything we're talking about, to actually circle back to what we planned on talking about, <laughs> this is this is how you take literature of any kind, doesn't matter what you're looking at, and apply it to a higher level of learning. So, how, right. Yeah, like how you advance stuff. And I think you're, you're – I mean, I've seen you do this with low learners, high learners, middle learners. I've seen you do it with all, I've seen you do it with adults actually in all the trainings <laughs> you've given you 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 have the ability to take something and apply it to a bunch of situations and I'm curious as to for people that might not be at this level if they're listening to this or might not even feel comfortable, like, I don't even know, like I'm a good reader, but I have no idea what to take. Like what's your thought process when you're reading through something to find out if you want to use it in your teaching. If you, if you're trying to figure out like a passage, a piece, a line, whatever you're using to move your students to the next level, what's your thought process that you go through? Well, first of all, I I make sure I know what I'm supposed to be teaching. Yep. You know, as far as like that. So when I'm I'm actually looking for something, I'm looking for how is this going to relate to what I'm supposed to teach. Mm. So like this week, it was characterization. Uh, all of us ag- agreed to working with characterization and uh, setting. And I wanted them to do descriptive writing. And I don't think there's anything better than to describe other than setting and character. Yep. So we, I was trying to find stuff that would do that. Well, I was just looking on my shelf, and I had remembered a long time ago, I really hadn't read Jack London's book uh, all the way through. Uh, when I was in, when I taught ninth grade, it was, there were a lot of excerpts in our anthology. So it's like one of those things where I thought, well, one day I'm going to read this. Well, when I picked it up and looked at it, I mean, the way he did the setting, I was like, this is it. I'm going to just start reading it. And that's how the idea came. As I'm reading, sometimes I don't have, I kind of look ahead a little bit and then I, I write notes. This will be really good for this. This will be really good for that. And um, so like on the setting, I had studied, you know, in my mini lesson that I put together for the kids on setting it, one of the things that I mentioned was your setting needs to be sprinkled. It doesn't need to be all in one big blob on the page you, you don't want to tell everybody everything you want them to kind of you know you you want to do a little bit of description and a little bit of uh, action and a little bit of dialogue and a little bit of setting and a little bit and you want to pull them all in you know building this scene and so we talked about that a little bit but jack london was really good about showing it that way and then uh the reason i chose among the hidden is because I've had a lot of success with that book uh, with the younger kid or with lower level readers. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say lower level, I'm talking about readers that are, uh, you know, it's probably written at about a fifth grade level. 
Yeah. So it's, but it, I have seventh and sixth graders and some of them don't even speak English. So this is a great way for them to hear the language. And she has a lot of suspense. And one of our other things we were supposed to be teaching this last six weeks that um, was foreshadowing and suspense. So she does a really good job of building suspense. So I'm more like using it as a reteach. I'll say, what, what, do, what is this? What did, what did the author just do here? What did we learn last six weeks that helped us, you know? And so they'll say, um, I don't know. I said, well, I think it starts with the S. Oh, suspense. You know, so I, I help them a little bit. And I said, well, let's reread that so you can hear it now that you know it's suspense. And I'll reread that. So just depends on, on what I really need to teach. This, I mean, that strategy, right, the, the teacher move of reading pieces, going through taking notes. Uh, actually, I have a question. I'm curious if you do this. So I actually go through and I, I pull, like, I, you know, I, we start with the standards, right? I mean, we're in a standards-based classroom. Um, craft and Draft is, sur- is surrounded by the use of standards because I right. think it's what most teachers are being held accountable to is teaching the standards. Um, so when we thought about the craft and draft process in general, it was, okay, we have to start with what needs to be taught. What's the verb? What is, what is actually being asked? What does that look like on a test? And what does that look like through authentic learning, reading and writing? And what I find myself doing, and I'm curious if you do is I will find a bunch of passages. I love Linda Reef. We <laughs> we talk about Linda Reef on every episode. I love Linda Reef's uh, Quick Writes book. I think it's the greatest tool for secondary teachers ever in existence, bar none. It's literally I I would be lost without that book. And reading through excerpts or going to my library. So if if so if I didn't have that book, and I do this a lot, is I'll go to my classroom library. I will find passages pages that I like. Um, this helps me well read. You can find books that, you know, and I will read stuff and I'll take notes down. And sometimes I'll make copies of stuff and I'll literally have a list of like five, seven texts to use in a week. And sometimes I get to all of them. Sometimes I don't like, I have a poem that I've been wanting to use in my classroom for a while. And I haven't, I have the copies made. My notes are made. The mini lesson is created in my craft book, but I haven't used it yet because it, it hasn't fit the conversations we're having just yet. I think it's going to meet my needs eventually, but do you, do you do that? Do you have stuff that you find and that you kind of set off uh-huh. to the side and you later get to it? Yeah. I had, I had said that, you know, of course we're working in teams yeah, and so I have to, you know, share. <laughs> <laughs> I have to like give in. Sometimes. Right, right. right. Anyway, and so I'm like, oh, let's do blah, blah. And they're all like, I don't think that's right yet. And so, yeah, I have several things that I've got sitting on the side waiting for the right time. But just like like the kids, when it comes to adults and things like that, you have to – sometimes it isn't the right time. You do have to to figure out what the right time is. I think that is a teacher move. I think that's magical when you can figure out the right time. Well, and sometimes it comes mid I what what usually happens is I'll plan like so you know tomorrow today's Saturday night, right? Tomorrow Sunday, I'll do the majority of my planning tomorrow for the week. Uh I will find pieces and if I don't find pieces, I will find ideas that I want to push. Like for instance, I have I know I have a test on Friday. 
that I that we want to get to. We struggled with our fiction test that we did last time. Um, so we, as a team, we decided to reteach, reassess because we had a lot of days lost to instruction. We went digital and then in person, some kids were digital and then they came in person. Like it was a hot mess. So we were like, all right, let's just spend a few more weeks going through kind of the fiction standards, right? We don't teach genre specifically, but you know, it is what it is, right? Like if you want to test. No, I agree with you. That's what we're doing. Yeah. I was going to say is we just, we chose to stay on story. And yes. fiction a little bit longer. Well, and it's the foundation, right? I mean, we, we said it earlier in the podcast that story goes into nonfiction. It goes into poetry. It goes into everything. Story is the foundation of all of these genres, even though if it's not readily apparent. So we decided to do that. So I have a test coming up Friday, which means I teach everything. I don't teach to the test necessarily. I do teach testing strategies as we get closer to the test. So I will show them. Because it's different. Like if you're writing a summary, for instance, it's one way to speak or write a summary, but it's an di- entirely different skill to select the best summary out of four, right? True. Like that is – those are skills that I think sometimes teachers who want to teach authentically, teachers that want to teach in workshop, teachers that want to teach in a way that where literacy is real in their classroom, sometimes that's a hard transition because they're like, well – an authentic summary is different than that. Well, that's true. So teach it as its own separate thing. As you get close to the test, start showing examples, get kids used to that. Because unfortunately, until things change in the education realm, (laughs) those are still the benchmarks we're held to. Right. So knowing that tomorrow, I'm going to jump into several pieces. I already have one short story I want to read. But after that, I'm not really sure. So I'm going to pull some pieces. I'm going to take notes. And what will happen is by Tuesday, my kids will show a need that will push whatever idea I had by Wednesday. And then that piece gets pushed out and I find a new one on Tuesday night because I'm like, oh, my kids need to see this. We need to look at this example. And that process um, is why I tend to push pieces out and put them on the the bench, so to speak, as to um, come back later because I, I'm constantly trying to teach to what my kids need now. And sometimes I'm good at predicting it uh, on weekends and sometimes my lesson plans don't change, but I don't know. I'd probably say 75% of the time they do change because kids are kids, right? Like I don't – I can't predict – Every possible scenario that's going to happen by Tuesday, but I'm also open to that that change. Um, luckily, I'm at a school that allows us that change, and we're not we're not held to any specific scripted curriculum or scripted. We're going to read this. We're going to read this. We're going to read this. But that I think that I think all teachers need to have that freedom, regardless. I think to take away that freedom because you're what I mean. If I if what does it matter if I read a story on Tuesday? My kids are lost. What is it? What good does it do me to continue going with that unless we add reteach or or something that adds to that? Because I I do add sometimes I'll teach too high. I'll pull a story that's too abstract or too advanced or something like that. And I'm like, oh, okay, sweet. Let's alter. I need to reteach this with this story. Like I that freedom is what I think we need. And um, I don't know. Like what's your what's your warning signs? When you're teaching something and you're and you realize kids aren't getting it or kids are struggling or something like that, what's some of the things you look out for to alter where you're going the next day? 
first of all, let's just go back to the planning part. Sure, sure. And when I'm working with teachers and I go, oh, I got an idea, and I start to explain it, and they get this glazed-over look, I know I've gone too high, even <laughs> for the teachers. <laughs> yes, it happens. It happens. They're looking at me going, no, my kids can't do that. you know. And I'm like, well, no, they can. They can. I, I think kids can do just about anything, but you have to break it down. So uh, sometimes I do go you know, maybe too fast. And all of a sudden all the hands fly up or that glazed look, then I have to go back. Sometimes what I'll do, um, I find, um, a student who kind of is just with me. You know, sometimes you've got that kid that's just with you and they understand you and they're like shaking their heads. Oh, they're ready to go. And I'll, and I can see this kid over here going, you can tell just by that, that look of fear. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I'm about to have to do something. I have no idea. And I don't want to ask. And I'll say, and I do have a few of those, and I'll say, uh, so-and-so, hey, do you mind helping him and tell him, you know, do you understand what I want? Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, can you explain it to him? And then uh, or I'll say, can you tell, retell what I just said to the whole class? And if <laughs> they can do it, if they can do it, and the kids go, oh, I get it now. And I'm like, yep, some people can just say things better than others, and I move on. So sometimes I'll get the kids to help me. But when I know it's too high, I'll say, well, you know, it's okay to abandon things. Let's start over. I'm going. Let's just scratch this today. Yeah. Today, I just want you to read, and uh, here's what I want you to do. I always have some some things that I know that they can do, like the reading strategies, um, you know, from Colleen Beers. Some of those mm-hmm. strategies. Uh, so I'll just pull one of those out, and you know, they're pretty much all in my head these days. But sure. I'll pull something. I'll pull something out, and I'll say, you know, I want y'all to. Um, We've been studying character. Okay, why don't y'all read today? And I want you to see how many different senses did the did the author use today to describe that character. See if you can find them as you're reading. And then uh, tomorrow we'll just I'm going to re- we're just going to do something different. Um, just just this week I'm like mm, there's too much of this one type of thing. So sometimes you have to know when it's like overkill, and sometimes I overkill and I have to be careful there. So you can tell when they start misbehaving. Usually usually misbehaving is because it's either too yeah. high or too low. Wow. And so if you can get it, if you can figure out, you know, those those clues. But usually misbehaving is one of your bigger your bigger clues. They start like they like to stall. Now sometimes I'll tell them, quit stalling and just get onto it. How did you know I was stalling? You're stalling. I know that's what you're doing, you know. Or guess what? All the hands go up and they all need to go to the restroom. Yep. You know that either you're A too high or it's too scary or too daunting for them. You need to go back and reteach. So those are just some things or just kind of coax them into it. Writing is when they're writing, to me, that's when they start avoiding a lot. Because there's nothing more daunting than staring at a blank page. I think that's why when you mentioned giving them a story start or giving them a a line, Mm -hmm. it's very helpful because what happens there is that their page is no longer blank. Yep. It just helps the brain. Well, and you know what's funny is usually I would 100% agree that writing is when kids would want to go to the restroom. Mine's opposite this year. (laughs) <laughs> Entirely. When we, right? so we, so uh, the way my class works is we usually, you know, I have about an 80 minute block, give or take. I do a mini lesson and then we go to read for 20 to 30 minutes, depending on how long we have. And then we go into writing. Uh, kids, without uh, 
without measure. Like they, they are just still like when we go to reading, they start raising their hand. Can I go to the restroom? Can I go to the restroom? No, you're trying to get out of reading your book right now. Like, even if it's just for like the, the two minutes you're going to be out of the room, like that is really fascinating because they're always waiting to write all of them. Almost all of the kids that had me last year specifically are always waiting to get to their writing. Now well, I it's, think that's I, great. Well, it is, except <laughs> I do want them, you know, I want them to get into that reading and, and do all that stuff. And what it's funny is we, I've been working on it. I've been extending our reading time just a little bit, you know, just a little bit longer. And kids are starting to get into their books. I had tons of kids finish their books this week. So I was on a, a book hunting frenzy. It's my favorite thing is, is book dealing to kids is finding out the next thing to get them to. Um, a lot of my readers who finished books, one of them was uh, my special project, uh, who she's dyslexic and I, it took me forever to get her to, I always, I, t- I've told her story a million times, but she read long way down last year. And that was the book I finally got her to finish. She read it in like a week and I've been, I've got her hooked ever since. And right now she's really hooked on some horror novels. So like, oh. I'm just, and she finished one. She was one of my first readers. The kid who didn't finish anything for months last year was one of my first readers to finish a book this year. Um, and then, so a lot of my struggling readers are the ones who are finishing stuff. And those are the ones I'm always so mindful of because you know what I mean? Like you've had that moment mm-hmm. where these kids, they finish a book. You don't want to lose them. Cause you know, they, the, the skill set that it takes to go into a library, to go into your classroom library, to go on Sora, right? The digital, to check out stuff. That that's a skill set that a lot of these kids don't have, specifically our struggling readers. So like I need to be ready for the next thing. And that honestly, that's been a lot of my time this week was finding books for these kids because they're picky, man. They are so picky because when you when you get a non-reader to read something, all they want to read is the the thing that is like that. But nothing's like that book that they fell in love with. Well, I think you had that I remember that problem that you had uh with one of your students when we worked together. Mm-hmm. Uh I don't know. He was that kid from the country. Yeah. I remember yeah. That. <laughs> he read about. that. He read that one book. And I mean, I'm like, well, what are you going to read next? He told me, I don't know. I only like that one. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and he was serious. He was not going to get another book. And that's what happens because and I, I, what's funny is I have the talk with them. I'm like, I get it. When I read a really great book and I fly through it, all I want is more. I want more of that story. I want more of that world. I want more of that language. And it just doesn't exist. Like sometimes you're lucky and it's a series. Um, but a lot of the times it's not. And it's not right. a series. And you can't just jump to the next one. And even then, if you jump to the next one, sometimes this, the second book doesn't live up to the first. For me as a reader, um, Game of Thrones – I love fantasy. The first book in the Game of Thrones series is one of my favorite books of all time. I think it's pristine. I think it's perfect in almost every aspect. Book two is not as good. I don't know if I'm going to get haters from that, but like it's Uh not. And I got to book three and it was too long. I finished it, but by the time I was done with it, I was like, I don't want this story anymore. Like, this is too much. George R. R. Martin lost control of his narrative. I don't care what anyone says. That's why the series isn't finished yet, because he lost control. But that stuff, like, as a real reader, we experience. Kids experience it times 40, especially if they are right a struggling reader. And that's that's I'm trying to always avoid that. So, like, me finding the next great book for them 
It, it's fun in a lot of ways, but it's also stressful because I'm like, I don't want to lose them. I got them right here. They finished a book. I got to yeah, right. do the next thing. <laughs> you got to do the next one. I think you're better at that than I am. I'm not, uh, you know, one of the things being out of the classroom so long, I think I told you, I'm really good at all the, all the books that, you know, probably in the 2000s and 2007s, you know, the sure. older books. So actually, I figured the kids haven't read those, so that's why I'm pulling them back out. Right, right. Because <laughs> I know them. But the kids are like, I've never read that book. Well, it's because it's old. So, hey, <laughs> they're, they're bit, my librarian's getting them to the, the more current stuff. So, Well, and Go that's on. honestly, I use my librarians. Uh, my mm-hmm. library, we're, we're very fortunate with uh, our librarian. She worked on the English team for a long time. So she has a good relationship with us. And she knows a lot of the books that I don't like. My limited knowledge, it starts breaking off towards, um, it starts breaking off towards some of the more uh, angsty YA. I, I just don't, it's not really a genre I enjoy all the time. I definitely read mm-hmm. a lot of it. Um, I, I can't, I don't consume it all the time. Um, mid grade, I'm really strong in mid grade cause I taught sixth grade for so many years, but now that I'm in seventh, like a lot of my students are wanting that next level. You know, they want the grittiness right. of the new YA. They want characters that are dealing with teenager problems. Um, right. and a lot of that I don't read just cause I'm not in that mindset, but I've, I made a purpose. I have spent so much money on these books recently. Um, our district gave us some money. Our school had some Title I money to buy money, and then I bought some with my own money. So I spent probably maybe $400 on these books that are a little bit more edgy, a little bit more YA, and I'm I'm gearing up. I have a whole stack on my table right out here in my living room oh, my goodness. Uh, to read because it's, it, it's going to make me able to connect to them, give them the right books, and I think that's – you know, I had a literacy coach one year. She said – an English teacher's part of your job is reading literature that connects to your kids, even uh-huh. if you don't fully enjoy it. And I think that's true. I think it definitely I agree in part, with that. in part, you need to know what's out there for sure. And that's challenging. Like it, uh, it's challenging for me. I, you know, I love fantasy. Like I'm a nerd. I love literature. Like I'm reading the overstory right now, which is about trees. Like I love that nerdy, like dorky kind of like I'm a I read literature type of person. But mm-hmm. um, I also I need to read YA in mid grade and try to at least be versed in what they're being exposed right. to. Right. Yeah, I I agree with you on that. I really do. But sometimes I'll just I'll ask the student. They'll say, "Have you read this book?" I said, "No." Uh, yes. Let's see if we can read that together. Yes. You know, and I'll pull a book. And so sometimes. I can fake it that way. <laughs> so I, was, well, I haven't read it. I, I don't really lie to them. I, no, I haven't read that one. Have you? I, yeah, a lot you of know. them. Well, this whole, like, even with that said, right, the push to, you know, you, you have your own time, right? You're, I think a, an English teacher's happier when they're serving their own interest. Um, and if you don't like certain stuff, just ask your kids, like, hey, is this a good book? What's it about? What's in it? What kind of content's mm-hmm. in it? Is this appropriate for everyone? Or is this is this right. is this a book that should only be really accessed to a few? Like kids are honest. Like they're not gonna lie about the content in a book if you've built those relationships and have right. have taught them like what it means to be a reader. Um, but we are at an hour and four minutes, Miss Oh well, my goodness, it was been it's gone fast. It really has. You know, this is what this is the magic of talking about what we do, the magic of Everything. I love that we went from read alouds to planning to everything else. Um, what a what a good episode. This is this is one that is gonna be in the history books. One of the greats that gets hopefully 
hopefully people learn some stuff. Hopefully some word nerds and literature nerds listen to this episode because that's we were deep in it uh, <laughs> on this one. Yeah, but we were. If anyone, if you like this episode, if you agree that this episode is for the word nerds and literature nerds out there, uh, go ahead in your podcast app right now. Hit that five star button. That really does help. Nine of you have done this. That's amazing to me because teacher teacher took, I mean, I think it took months before I had nine ratings on the podcast app. So thank you guys for doing that. If you have done it already, if you haven't do that, it really does help. Maybe write some words of encouragement. If you are feeling like you need to add something, those reviews and the ratings really do help the podcast. Share the podcast with your English department or anyone that's interested in literacy and workshop teaching. Check us out at Craft and Draft Workshop.com where you can find every episode. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episode. Every episode drops every single Friday to start your weekend, to empower your planning, to connect with you on the two days that we have to kind of take a break and take in everything uh, that we're doing on the weekend. So hopefully this is meaningful to you. Hopefully you're enjoying this journey with us. Craft and Draft is a brand new podcast. So if you want to support us, do all of those things. It would be greatly appreciated. But until then, know that we're here for you. <laughs>